It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at seabock.com. Hello, I'm Tom Bradshaw. And welcome to Work Cookie. Today I'm with Candace Gottlieb Clark. Candace is the founder and CEO of Team of Dynamic Team Solutions, a national firm specializing in improving organizational environments and culture. With a background in counseling and as an architect of healthy workplace relations, Candace has spent nearly two decades supporting business and leaders by designing programs that build inspiring leadership, collaborative teamwork productive communication, and effective conflict management and resolution. She's also the author of the just-released Find, Fix, Fill Your Leadership Gap. Hello, Candice, and welcome. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on Work Cookie today. <laughs> well, we're awfully glad you're here. Uh, let's jump right into it. To start with, can you tell us a little bit about Dynamic Solutions and the work that the organization does? Oh, I'd be happy to. So Dynamic Team Solutions um, has been around, we've been around about two decades, and we specialize in all things that have to do with interpersonal workplace relations. Really, what we do is we seek to make businesses and organizations thrive by helping make sure their most valuable asset, their employees, not only want to come to work, but they want to work with each other. And that includes everything from people in the mailroom to people in the boardroom. So we just really work on making sure people function at their absolute best when working with each other. So uh, well, as the founder and CEO, can you tell me about the role that you play in the organization? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, I began the, the business as a one man band, you know, forming relationships, taking on the business, serving the clients, doing the administrative work, everything. And as the business grew, um, my role morphed a bit. So while I did that for a long time, about five years ago, I transitioned it into bringing on other talent, consultants that specialized in some of the very services we provide most often, which include executive coaching, uh, mediation and conflict resolution services, group facilitation, training, and then some organizational and strategic plans like culture development projects. And even today um, with some callings for diversity, equity, inclusion, and so forth. Um, so my role now is more of a sort of a guide for the projects. I not only develop it as the architect, I think that's the language that uh, that we discussed before. And once those projects are determined as a go, I help determine who's the right consultant, then the consultant and I spend a lot of time collaborating and discussing the projects, making sure that they feel set and we can keep that communication going throughout the project. And likewise, I work with company leadership, those organizations that choose to hire us. I connect with them ongoing throughout the project to make sure that we are meeting needs. We are knowing of any emerging issues or problems or successes that they're seeing along the way. And it just makes it really fluid that everybody knows what's happening and we always have forward momentum. And, you know, I want to get into leadership and, and particularly your leadership style, but I want to go back because a lot of our listeners are in graduate school or they're just starting their careers. Can you share with us how you started your career in the industry, especially how did you get that first job? Oh, my first job. Well, you know, it's interesting. And I'm going to tell you what I did. And, and then I'm going to also 
tease that a bit to what I would suggest is maybe a better path for most people. So what I did was um, I came into the world of conflict resolution and mediation with a background in counseling, which is not really a consulting practice. And so when I got into the field of mediation and I was a natural at it, you know, even people that were longer term in the field could just read that off of me and how I handled situations. I was just naturally talented in that area. And I had such a drive and passion for it and for creating, you know, basically a, a reestablishment of trust and communication between people when it was eroded or destroyed. And so having done that, I really enjoyed having the opportunity to work with clients. And I think my first client, if I can remember correctly, was somebody I knew, uh, the owner of the company um, happened. It was like a, a friend of a friend, like the company owner knew somebody who knew me and, and he'd met me once because of that. So he says, you know what, I'd like you to do a company training for us on this stuff. And then also I belong to a chamber of commerce and a couple of networking groups and just doing my my little 30 second intro at the start of a meeting. I had people come up to me and say, hey, you know, we actually have a need in my company or my organization. And can you, you know, connect with me on that after this day today? So that was great. I got a few early opportunities to start building my practice. But really for me, what grew it over time and what has continued to is by delivering content, um, both through writing and through speaking engagements. And I'm a firm believer in giving like genuine content, not fluff. Um, I attended a webinar last night that was 90 minutes on the birds and the bees. And let me say, I learned like two things in 90 minutes. And um, one of them is that the Dutch do it better than the US. But um, <laughs> just in case you're wondering, um, check out the Dutch. They apparently have a better scale on this. But um, in terms of what I would recommend for somebody who is embarking on this is it was really hard starting on my own and not having a book of business that I could draw upon. And colleagues of mine who I've come to know over the years that started as a practitioner within a larger consulting organization, even though they didn't get to do the work they first wanted when they got there and they worked long hours, they built a reputation with some pretty well-known businesses and it made it really easy when they went solo for them to have established connections. That has taken me a long time to develop and it would be something I would caution someone about doing it my way because it was a harder road than maybe it would be for somebody who chose to work first for an organization where they'd make connections and be able to have that, you know, in essence, pedigree uh, of having worked for one of these larger consulting organizations first. Well, there's also going to be some listeners who are at that point where they've been working with another organization or maybe they're working in-house and now they're, you know, they're seeing something <laughs> like dynamic team and they're going, I want myself one of those. So what do they need to understand to take that next step and, and dream of living the life that you have? I think one of the biggest things, and, and this is part of where I come from by saying, you know, be careful is financially it can be a real nosedive you take in the early years because there's no consistent paycheck and i can tell you that when i began my business uh, i had already formed a huge number of relations with in particular attorneys and i thought well they're going to refer mediation to me because i do the kind they don't want to do i do that messy stuff where people are crying and and where there's emotion and drama and it's not just static you know negotiations they'll be thrilled to refer to me and i can tell you i think there was only one or two attorneys that even entertained referring business to because they just looked at it and thought even though you're great at that i think only an attorney should meet 
which by the way, that is not at all the case. Um, attorneys can often be the worst mediators and many attorneys will be the first to say that, but um, that's because the difference between mediation and lawyers is one is meant to be an advocate and one is not to advocate for anything other than a solution. Um, you're not on anyone's side. It's a very different skill set. but I digress. Um, <laughs> in terms of what I would um, caution is economically, it can be tough. You may not get as much business or as consistent business as you expect. Um, you know, the, the very common thing that happens with consultants and I was no different was you have that kind of up down of your economic cycle where you've got a ton of business coming in and you're doing great, but that means you're doing no marketing. You're spending every minute, every waking second, taking care of clients. And then as those clients' projects um, complete, you have the time to do the marketing, but you have no income. And so then you're in that low point, that valley. And I went through that for, for years, even after I'd started bringing on other team members, I went through that because it took to getting to a place where it was just a routine part of my practice to market and to stay in front of people and, and just knowing them and connecting with them for that to start taking place. Well, let me ask you, though, because when I look at what's going on in the business world and we seem to be in a time of major change, it, one of the things that I'm really noticing is, you know, five years ago, leadership, for the most part, didn't really care what was going on in employees' lives. They didn't care about establishing a relationship with them. As long as they showed up at time, did the work and then left, they were absolutely fine. But that paradigm is gone and we're seeing mm -hmm. this new paradigm evolve. So I look at the whole industry and going, you know, with such growth, where is the industry going to be in the next five or 10 years? Mm -hmm. what, what's your view on that? That's an excellent question. I think right now we're sort of feeling the, um, I shouldn't say sort of, we're definitely feeling the impact still of COVID and people working remotely and resistance to coming into a work environment. Uh, you know, a year ago, I was referring to the changes as um, creating a tsunami of conflict. And that's because we were seeing, you know, in the first month of, of 2021, we saw more uh, mediation requests than we had in the entire prior 18 months. In one month, <laughs> we wow. were just blown away by how much. And it's because people going back to work were so tired of being stretched thin and put upon, they weren't putting up with it. And now a year further after that, the added issue is that people have gotten so consistent in being able to work remotely, they don't recognize that there's problems inherent with that. So I think in the short run, what I'm really seeing is there's going to be a lot of push pull with people um, not recognizing how much the work environment does matter versus remote. Um, I think a hybrid model will become a long term way of the future, but I think it will be less time spent remote than people imagine. My guess is it'll be 60% in the office, 40% out, because that gives you productivity time. I also think that there's a push, and I shouldn't say I think, I think globally there's been a lot of um, a lot of really wise people that are putting out articles that, that speak to this point as well about how much the world of work is becoming more socially important to people, those um, social economical concerns have taken a different breath. You know, when we look at older generations, it was much more about, uh, you know, sort of a capitalist view of things really. And, and not that there's anything wrong with it, but about the bottom line, about productivity, about growth. And now I think as a part of um, just the changes in the generations that we've seen, um, and this is not meant as a disparaging comment, but millennials, Gen Zers and so forth, we're seeing them have a much different and 
wide reaching view of the world. So they're not looking at just what's in it for me. They're really looking at it and saying, what's in it for our society? What's in it when we think about climate change or when we think about green initiatives? What what things matter to me and about work-life balance? It's not just about the money anymore. And I think it's because our quality of life just overall has sort of raised over the years that it becomes less essential that money be the driver. And it's more about, okay, what is the world that I'm going to leave to my next of kin or other generations after me. So I think the shifts that we're going to see are going to have more of that global perspective than what we've seen in years past. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turnboot. The name is not elegant. Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. I want to turn to the book now because <laughs> I get to ask you the question that I've been dying to ask the author of every leadership book I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you get off giving this comment? <laughs> Here goes. Um, I want to know that as you lived these experiences and developed this methodology, how did that change your leadership? Like what was the evolution as you make these discoveries? Like what, what are those moments like when the penny drops? Can, can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, I'd, lo- I'd love to. That's such a good question. So, you know, and my book back here, for those of you looking to, uh, <laughs> so what's this book she's talking about? This is what it looks like. Um, anyhow, so over the course of my career, in every situation, and this is true for all of us, every situation changes me. I grow from it. I learn from it. And one of the ones that I speak about in the book, which came about early on, and it was sort of a genesis of why the book was worth writing, um, is that I came to find that, you know, I often would come in there for a mediation issue or a, a you know, an executive coaching. Regardless, I'd often find the issue wasn't static. It wasn't just with that one person or group of people I was helping. It went far further back or deeper or higher up the chain of command. And so I, I formed a plan for making it far less comfortable to tell a leader that they're the problem by just starting my first conversation with them by saying, if I find that any of this traces back to you, how would you like me to share that with you? And I don't think there was a single instance where they didn't say, well, of course it's gonna connect back to me somehow. I expect that, here's, you know, just, just tell me. But it opened the door for a lot. It opened the door for number one, all of those difficult conversations became really easy because I could say, do you remember that time I brought this up? And they're like, oh my God, what did I do, right? So it made it very simple for me to just tell them, okay, here's what's going on. Uh, Not that it was actually as easy as I might make it sound, but it certainly opened the door in a much better way than just having to come in cold with, with that kind of feedback. Secondly, it taught me unequivocally that leaders that screw up in whatever manner do not intend to. And and that was always sort of a philosophy of mine, but it became much more deeply entrenched in my opinion of of what is going on when things go wrong. And that gave me just a, a much, you know, more optimistic view as well. And so 
you know, that helped to color all of the projects I worked on and all of the things I did. And when I'd be working with leaders, like I mentioned in the beginning, that I would often, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of behind the scenes even when I'm not the consultant and I'm keeping in touch and how are things going and what's happening. I found that, you know, there was a lot of information that they needed that they didn't have, that I'd be able to impart upon them. And so, you know, I just kind of, I grew with my clients. I think I grow with every project. And when I was even writing the book, you know, and, and you probably remember the reference to the three-legged stool, which I bring up like, you know, half a dozen times or more in the book, um, which have to do with three main pillars that are vital to leadership. And, and with any of those missing, it'll fall apart. Those being trust, role clarity, and conflict management. It may be interesting to know that I didn't have those three figured out before I started writing the book. I had like all this knowledge. And as I was writing it, I started recognizing, wait a minute, it's pretty much always these same things I'm talking about with these people. Maybe I can I can see if that actually makes sense on the on the broader spectrum of it. And it did. I was like, oh, this makes it harder but better to to explain it to people because there's just these, you know, if you're looking at leadership and what it takes to be a healthy leader, you nail these three and you're golden. Now those two are not simple to do, but <laughs> but you nail those, and you're going to be an amazing leader, and you're going to really be able to help your team thrive. Well, you know that that leads into my next question because it was a bit mind blowing when I discovered in the book that it comes down to three things, and, and you know it, it really is trust, role clarity, and conflict management. But why? Why? What's going on <laughs> that we have? an epidemic of organizations where these are the key issues. It's interesting. I don't think of it as these are the key issues. I think of it more as these are the qualities that are needed to prevent the issues, right? Um, so, you know, and I'll break down each of the three legs of this stool a little bit to, to explain that. So trust, when you have people that trust each other on a team and they are genuinely in a place of being able to rely on each other and work with each other and share things that go wrong and offer advice and have it be taken well so that they can thrive when all of that is happening people own up to problems and when they own up to problems that allows there to be a place where success can find its path um, that connects to both of the other two legs of the stool, of course. So there are times that there is a leader who doesn't realize how vital it is that they create this trust, not just that they trust their team, but that the team trusts them and trusts each other. And that's a really big role, which a lot of leaders unwittingly don't take. Um, and, and something that if you read the book, you'll find that I say, <laughs> Don't say trust me. Um, it's one of like my pet peeves because it's the the you know the crux of so many problems. If you have to say it, it means that they don't, right? And so the idea is develop trust. Don't ask for trust, and and that's a big part. And that connects as well with that idea of conflict management. Conflict is so natural. Being able to see things differently is natural. And in fact, in really high power groups having differences of opinion is where they thrive. You know, they need to push each other by pointing out what doesn't work, pointing out something that might be a better plan or, or concern that didn't get raised. And having trust is the only way people will voice those concerns. But at the same time as they're voicing them, it can also give way to friction. And so how do you bring people back to that place where trust still exists and it doesn't get undermined by the friction that actually can create growth and, and forward momentum? Sort of this cyclical thing. Yeah, time for a little honesty. Um, 
you know, as, as I read the book, I reflected on my own management style. And, you know, when it comes to trust, I I, I think I can give myself a pretty solid nine. Um, I, I haven't used, you know, trust me <laughs> because I've always been afraid of what happens if I can't deliver. When it comes to role clarity, you know, I may be a five or a six. When it comes to conflict management, maybe two. I like to avoid. Am, am I typical of what you're finding? And, you know, if I am and there's people like me listening, how can the book help me? Oh, gosh, that's so I really appreciate your, your you know, self-disclosure with that. And it's hard for me to say what percentage that makes for such a great question. And maybe I'll do, a, you know, a LinkedIn poll or something to ask people that. Um, but my gut tells me that you're pretty normal. Not that that's obviously ideal, but it's pretty normal. I'd say um, in terms of people that rise up through the ranks, they're often sort of polarized in being more on the conflict avoidance side. Like they kind of they kind of skate by without getting noticed because they do that. And and really what I look at is the difference between someone who's conflict avoidant and someone who's um, considered confrontational, which I consider conflict approach versus conflict avoidant, is their comfort level with that dis that disarray that conflict brings. Um, if I was to choose, I am very highly on the conflict approach side. And that doesn't mean I like conflict. In fact, I can't stand it. And that's why I have to get rid of it as quickly as possible. I'm sort of a firefighter. Let me put out the damn fire. Whereas people who are conflict avoidant are like, I can watch that fire burn. It's not doing anything much. I'm good. And so it's a big difference, right? And there's those people that are like, I have to go put it out. And others that are like, it's not doing anything. We can just let it simmer. And so, you know, it's really normal in society for us to have that. And I hope I've even normalized the differences between those two for people, because oftentimes that is what causes people to not get along is those that are more avoidant think those that are approached are the problem and vice versa. You know, so it kind of creates that that dance almost, you know, that you have between people where somebody's, you know, the runner and somebody's the chaser. Yeah, I, I've let conflict brew to the point of having to call 911. So <laughs> I, I get where you're coming from. Uh, but you know what? It, if I took your book and gave it to 10 leaders that I know, nine of them would think it's brilliant. One would probably go, eh, not my thing. But of those nine... <laughs> I'm glad I've got nine that think it's brilliant. That's awesome. I hope that um, one does not put a review up on Amazon. <laughs> one would never take the effort. Um, <laughs> But I know that, you know, as much as those nine will think it's brilliant, three or four of them will actually implement it, like actually try it out. And there just seems to be with leadership this hesitancy to move in this direction. What is it that these leaders need to hear so that, you know, more of them are actually taking action? Um. I, I may even speak to this in the book. I'm not sure that I do um, in so many words, but employees even if they're director level and they're reporting to an executive director employees want to believe that their leader is trying their best and it shows when a leader's like hey i realize we don't have as so much trust on the team as would be ideal and i know this because you know this project ended up going off the rails whereas had this person talked about it it never would have they just didn't share it with everybody and maybe there's not enough trust and i take ownership of that as a leader and therefore I'm gonna take it on. I think leaders are a bit afraid that their teams won't follow them if they're vulnerable. And I think the opposite is probably more true is that genuineness is what gives people a sense of safety. It tells them that this person really cares. Now, does that mean there aren't people out there who are saboteurs who will use that as an opportunity to one up their 
somebody above them? No, I can't. I cannot promise that. I'm sure there are people out there that would use that as an opportunity. But I think most leaders, if they take that that place of not saying, hey, I'm a weak leader or I don't have the right skills, but to say, hey, I'm going to try something that might help us as a team. And it doesn't make it that they alone are wrong. It's that because you once the leader changes, the team changes. So they can bring it up as a collective in that regard. And yet it also allows them to show that they care. And I think that is what often drives a team to be more loyal and to try harder themselves. So for me, I think the hardest part is just realizing that that's what it takes is to just trust in people enough again that word trust is coming up right trust in them enough to allow them to know you're working hard let me turn to the remote workforce for a second because Mm -hmm. you know I'll, i'll say it again as i was reading this book i was going this is perfect for the remote or hybrid workforce, uh, the, the way you broke it down and the way it works. And I'm hearing estimates that within five years, we're going to be close to about half a billion just remote workers. So how is the knowledge that you put in the book really going to sort of bridge those gaps for, for those teams that aren't you know constantly co-located where things like communication can break down? How is you know, those three pillars again, how is that really going to support those remote workers and and their leadership? I have a bias because I think they need to work together some of the time. But that aside, that aside, I think the core values of those those three legged stool, I think the core values are the only way for a leader to make it successfully pass this arc of change, right? If you're able to develop trust on your team and, you know, I break it down in the book and I'm going to give away an acronym that I love that I created for the book, which is THOR. Do you remember THOR? <laughs> That's like yes, I do. <laughs> um, and it stands for transparency, honesty, openness, and respect. And when you have that transparency, meaning that you're, you're sharing what's going on. And I've heard it called radical transparency, just really being able to be vulnerable and say, Hey, here's what's going on. And I don't just mean this from the leader. I mean, this is what they emulate with the team. It allows people to be remote and still be successful. Because if you say I'm tripped up on this, not, Oh, I'll get it to you next week. You know, it makes the difference. And and there are probably people that can jump in and help. But in an in-office situation, it's going to be much more obvious that somebody's stuck. So you can go stand at their desk and say, I need that now. You, know? <laughs> you see, they're not making any progress on it. Or or they just, they're facing you every day and it's harder to avoid it. But when you're remote, you can put it off. You can ignore the email. You can miss the meeting. And it's an easy way to escape that, which is what concerns me. But if you can start developing some of that, that transparency where you share with what others what's going on the honesty also saying hey i'm stuck not just waiting for someone to ask you but offering that up i need help i don't know how to do this <laughs> or i'm overloaded and i can't do this you know then being open to what people are willing to share having respect back and forth i mean those are the parts that i bring up as the core of what will build trust is you know transparency honesty openness respect and that's just one of the three things right the risk the role clarity comes into place with people knowing what their responsibilities are, not just the leader, of course, again, but as a member of a team to others on the team, knowing what they expect of you. And a leader sets the tone for that. What do they expect of you? What do you expect of them? How is that matching? Um, And managing conflict, which in some ways, yeah, there's less conflict when people aren't face-to-face, but if that trust starts to erode and people aren't transparent, they aren't honest, they aren't helping each other, they aren't pitching in, you have conflict. You have people feeling overwhelmed, angry, violated, and that's when you end up having people resign and quit. You know, yeah, I got to work remote, but I'm just not able to make this work because the people I work with are not working well with me. 
So if I'm a leader and I'm in one of those situations, how do I get in touch with you and Dynamic Team Solutions so that I can bring your knowledge into my organization? <laughs> That's a great question. I, ha I have a bat, movie, a bat, uh, you know, bat icon <laughs> in the sky. Um, <laughs> um, I would love for people to reach out to me. You can find um, us, find me through uh, my company website, which is Dynamic Team Solutions. Dot org. Um, so my email is Candace at dynamicteamsolutions.org. And, you know, through there, we even have a, on the contact us page, a place where you can even type a, a brief description of what's happening. So before the call, I know what it is that you might need to talk about. And, you know, I truly love being a service. My consultant base is amazing. We're, we're working with clients coast to coast right now. We even have um, some projects that we're looking at that are international because the one of the benefits for us of the remote work world is Clients are like, hey, you know what? We don't really care that you can't come into the office now. We've learned we can we can do this without that. Or we actually have so many of our team members that aren't coming in that this is the only way we can do it. And so even things like training, which really is far better in person because I can see people's body language. Or I shouldn't say I, but our, our team, you can see someone's body language. As, as someone said to me, I can see if your legs are crossed or uncrossed. You know, these things make a difference into somebody's mental state. You know, if there's a dog running around your feet that you're ignoring versus you're fully vested in and engaged, all these things can take a toll that you can't tell when you're training people that are remote. But clients have gotten to a place where they really are accepting of that, even though it's not ideal. And so we're just trying to, to do our best to make sure we give a lot of follow up to make sure that any information we give, because you have to do shorter segments when you're virtual, right? Um, it has a lot of follow up. So it really helps people to entrench and ingrain new knowledge. And maybe that'll be a positive thing overall because smaller nuggets are easier to digest and implement than you know a four hour or eight hour training. Yeah, very, very true. And where can we find, where can we find, find, fix, fill your leadership gap? I'm gonna hold it up nice and I dropped something. All right. So excited by my book. Sorry. Um, so it is on Amazon. It is an Amazon book right now. Um, as of, I think yesterday, it was hitting number one in leadership and human resource categories, which was very exciting. Congratulations. And yeah, thank you. And yeah, I'm very proud of it. I hope that uh, many of our, your listeners today will, will be inspired to read it and learn from it. And, and, please feel free to share with me your thoughts. I've actually created a LinkedIn group and a Facebook group with Find Fix Bill. So you can join my group and I will be doing little chats like this periodically once I have enough group members in it to join me. And, uh, and, and that'll be a great way to stay in touch as well as to you know continue to share some of my thoughts and, and your questions, getting those answered. Well, it's a great book and it taught me so much and I highly recommend it. Uh, look, thank you very much, Candice. It's been Great pleasure speaking with you. Likewise, Tom. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks to the whole Work Cookie audience. I'm just so happy to be here with you today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.